And as our kids are making their way out uh, to their classes for Ignite Kids, I want to say uh, welcome to you all. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here at Ignite, and I'm just really, really happy that you could join with us this morning as we open God's Word and see what He has uh, for us today. Um, one of the things before we begin, something I want to just talk to you about first is that uh, we are coming up, uh, we're now in um, the, uh, the holiday season. Um, and, uh, and with Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, and we have some wonderful opportunities uh, at Ignite with uh, Vintage Christmas and our Christmas service and then some uh, Smart Money event and other things. We have tremendous opportunities for people to connect, not only to our church, but uh, to, to each other and to God. And Christmas and Thanksgiving really offers us a tremendous opportunity to invite our friends and uh, coworkers and neighbors uh, to places and into our life. Because for so many, um, the holiday season's great, grand, and wonderful, right? Uh, but for others, uh, the holiday season is marked by pain, um, suffering, um, and uh, some dysfunction and stuff. And so this is a great opportunity for us as the church to be able to invite our friends and family uh, to places where they can go to connect with God and connect with other people. And so um, I just highly recommend you to take advantage of that uh, this holiday season because there's people out there that you know uh, that need you. Um, we are in a uh, sermon series called uh, The Gospel of Matthew. We've been making our way through the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book in the Old, or in the, sorry, in the New Testament. First book in the Old Testament is Genesis. Um, first book in the New Testament. Uh, Matthew was a disciple of Jesus. He was an eyewitness to the work of Jesus. And then after Jesus died and rose from the dead, G, uh, Matthew writes an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. And so we've been studying uh, the life of Jesus at length, and we're going to continue. We're going to make our way through the entire book of Matthew um, before we are all done with this. Um, but what's great about Matthew is it's actually broken up into chunks or sections and, and categories, if you will. And so we've been taking those a little bit at a time. Um, lately, in the last few weeks, we've been talking about Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. It's his most famous sermon. It's uh, recorded in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, and so that's where we find ourselves in this. And what we see is that Jesus um, has a kingdom, and there's rules to the kingdom, and, that, and, and, and also, too, Jesus wants to address not only the behavior of people who say, I want to be a follower of Jesus, but also address the heart behind it. And so the last few weeks have been really uncomfortable uh, for us because Jesus has been rooting around in our hearts, talking about motives talking about thoughts, talking about uh, attitudes. And so talking about like anger and lust and greed and, and arrogance. And he's been kind of just rooting around in our hearts. And that has made us really uncomfortable over the last few weeks. And uh, what's amazing is, is that he's gotten us to this place where he's really just kind of wrestled us to the ground. Okay, so we think about um, sometimes if, if someone points out something, a flaw in our life, maybe a character flaw, sometimes we can throw some excuse out there, or sometimes we can get mad, or we can do other things. But there comes a point sometimes where you just, you realize that you are the problem. You ever had that moment where you're at the problem and you have no excuse anymore, and you're just kind of stripped bare, and you're like, uh, yeah, there's, there's just no, you were just like wrestled and pinned to the ground. I don't know if you guys have ever had, uh, if you guys have older brothers or, uh, or maybe sometimes sisters, um, um, or, uh, or cousins or something like that, that would like pin you to the ground. Like if you got wrestling or maybe you got a little lippy, uh, right? And, the, and they would pin you to the ground. And every once in a while you could maybe kind of escape or kind of wiggle, but then there's those moments where you're just completely pinned to the ground. There's nothing that you can do except, uh, uh, except defeat. You ever had that moment? You're like, okay, right? 
And this is where God's law has really got us. He's pinned us down to the ground. We can't make excuses for ourselves anymore. We understand that we have a heart issue, that we have a, an issue of our mind and our motives that are sinful against God, that we try to, even when we pray sometimes, we do it against, to try to be seen by other people. And God said, that's hypocritical. I thought you were talking to me, not trying to impress others, right? And so we, we get to this place where we're pinned down um, by God and say, you, you can't wiggle anymore. There's no more wiggle room and there's no more excuse. And what I think is amazing is what God does with us next. I think that's incredible what God does with us. Once we were pinned to the ground and we've admitted defeat and we've admitted the fact that we are sinners and that we've broken his laws and his commands, he does something incredible because he does something that's different than what the world would do. Because when we admit defeat or when we admit our character flaws in the world around us, then people love to just jump on us, right? Everybody's going to chime in. We find somebody who does something wrong, and we're just going to dog on that person, right? It's going to be, they're going to be blasted on social media. They're going to be shunned from the community, and all of us are going to feel great because that person's a horrible person, and somehow us adding insult to injury makes us feel better. That's the way the world works, um, but that's not the way that Jesus works. In fact, Jesus' upside-down kingdom, his kingdom is so different that it's like it's upside-down for us. Jesus' upside-down kingdom gives perspective to my life and rest to my soul. Jesus' upside-down kingdom gives perspective to my life and rest to my soul. I'm gonna to talk to you about, a little bit about that because he, he's already addressed our hearts, he's already addressed our motives, and here is where Jesus begins to build into our life and really talk to us about important things. In fact, he lifts our eyes. He lifts our eyes. He lifts our gaze past our problems and past what we're going through and past what we think is important. Jesus lifts our eyes. And when we're humble, and when we're humbled by him, it's here that Jesus starts to do incredible work in our life. And so we're gonna be in Matthew 6, uh, starting in verse 19. Jesus says this. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus has just talked to us about our motives, about when we pray, when we fast, and when we give to the poor. And he's showing about us, like, if you're doing that for the attention of other people, that's why you live. You've already received your reward. You're not doing it for me. You're being a hypocrite. And it's there, you're like, oh, man, that hurts because I've done that before, right? And here's where you think God is just going to drop the hammer on us and say, now, you wicked servant, get away from me. I want nothing to do with you. That's what we think is going to happen but that's not what happens. In fact, this is not anything that I expect would happen is when we get pinned to the ground, Jesus now gives us investment coaching. Like I didn't see that one coming. Like of all the things that he could have said, of all the things that he could have done, in this moment he's, he gives us investment coaching. He says, when you pray, when you fast, when you give, do it for me and do it for the Father in the heaven, but don't try to impress other people. And then he says, and by the way, let's talk about what's really important in life. Let's talk about what's important. He says, don't, don't spend all your time, don't spend all your life storing for yourself treasures on earth where, where moth and rust destroy, where things get old and decay, where rust takes them over. Maybe they'll get stolen. It's stuff. Maybe somebody's gonna come in and steal your stuff. He says, don't 
put so much of your life into the accumulation of those things because they're going to get rusty and they're going to get mothy, right? That's a word, right? Mothy? We'll go with mothy. Yeah, okay. Um, they're mothy. They get, they get old. And we spend so much time accumulating stuff because we think this is what's going to make us happy and this is what's going to satisfy the deep longings of our soul. But he says, listen, they're going to get rusty and moth is going to come and it's going to get old. And there's things in your life that when you got them, you thought they were the most amazing thing in the world, right? And now you kind of laugh about that. When I was 14 years old, I got my first ever CD player. Right, we all laugh now, right? Everybody's like, this thing was amazing, right? It had a skip button. I, can just, I didn't have to fast forward and kind of hit the pause button and play and see if I can get to the next song. It just jumped right to the next song, like magic, right? And I would dust it because it was like charcoal color and you know, like electronics and how they attract dust, right? You know, and I was gonna, I dusted it regularly and I sure as, I wasn't gonna make sure that my, my, sister, my little sister was never gonna touch it their greasy little fingers and penchant for destruction. I wasn't going to let her touch my CD player. Sounds silly, doesn't it? I mean, I think I saw, I think I saw the equivalent of my CD player in a thrift store a few years ago for like a nickel. Um, I think it's what it was. Um, I remember when I first got married, my wife, uh, as a Christmas gift, got me an iPod. First generation. The thing was unbelievable right? Had music on it. I didn't have to, I didn't have to sort of CD anymore. I, but I did have to spin the wheel on it like some Neanderthal, right? Like we don't do nowadays. <laughs> right? And we joke about that. We laugh. Why? Because, because it's, it's old. It's archaic. You know, like you even like, I got the new Samsung Galaxy S20 and you're like, well, 64 is coming out next week. So... Good for you, right? Like everything moves so fast. We think that, the, that when we accumulate stuff that this is somehow going to be what's going to satisfy us. And Jesus says, get your eyes up. Get your eyes up. Don't, don't look at, at the things that we're, we're moth and rust are going to destroy or somebody's going to steal it. And then what, right? He says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Invest in the things that matter. It's not about not having treasure. It's about putting your treasure where it's going to get the most return. Invest in kingdom work. Invest in the lives of other people. Invest in the lives of helping people come to meet, know, and follow Jesus. Rust will never destroy that. Moth will never wear that out. No one can steal that. Invest in the things that matter. Put your treasure, put your treasure in the kingdom of heaven. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I've said this before. I will say this again. And I'm going to say it again and again and again. Why? Because I'm a father. It's what I do. Following your heart is really bad advice. Just so you know. Following your heart Really bad advice. And a lot of people are going to tell you to follow your heart. In fact, the latest one that I was told to follow my heart was Southwest Airlines. I was, on a, I was, on, I was watching a football game yesterday. and It was on the commercial. And you're going to follow your heart, right? And I'm like, Southwest, come on. <laughs> Don't follow your heart. 
Don't follow your heart. Lead your heart. Lead your heart. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a matter of what you invest in will lead your affections. Okay? And this is true all the time. There might be something that's interesting to you or a relationship that might be interesting to you, but you don't garner affection until you invest in it, until you put your time in it, until you put your treasure in it, until you put your talents towards it. When you invest in something, then you start to care about that more and more and more. We lead our hearts. Our, our affections follow our investments, whatever they may be. Right? You, might, you might have a friend that you're like, I'm, we're going to be really, really good friends, and you invest time and energy into that, and then they move away. And maybe you don't invest as much time in that anymore, and your heart starts to fade. Those connections start to loosen, and they just go, wow, yeah, I, I used to talk to that person like five years ago. Because where your treasure is, what you treasure and what you invest in, that's where your heart's going to be. And if you invest in the kingdom of God, your heart's going to follow you there. It's going to care about the things that God cares about. You're going to weep over the things that, that break the heart of God. You're going to rejoice in the things that make God's heart rejoice because you're investing your life in there. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be. Lead your hearts. Jesus says, get your eyes up. Lead your hearts. Follow me. And don't lay up for yourself all these treasures that are here on earth that are temporal. Get your eyes up. Speaking of eyes, he says this next. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? He says, what you focus on is what you end up becoming. He says, the eyes are the lamp. The eyes are the lamp of the body. It's the windows to the soul. So what are you focusing on? Not only just like what are you watching on TV, but what are you, who are you watching and where's your focus? Because what you focus on is what you end up becoming. And so if you spend your whole life focusing about how am I going to get rich, how I'm going to make it, how I'm gonna, and I'm, how I'm going to uh, use people in order to get what I want because I've seen someone else do it, you keep watching that, you keep looking at that, that's what you end up becoming. And he says, when you focus on the light, your whole body starts to be filled with light. When you focus on the darkness, your whole body becomes filled with darkness. He says, what are you focusing on? What are you spending your life working towards? Why are your eyes fixed in that direction? Where do you spend your time? And where do you spend your mental energy and what do you focus on in that time? It says, if you focus on the things of light, your whole body will be filled with light. If you have darkness and you're focusing on dark things, your body becomes dark. Like your soul becomes corrupted. And he says, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? He's saying this, listen, we already have talked about the fact that our motives are mixed, right, as human beings. We live in a broken world and we have a sin issue with our heart. And so there's things that we do all the time that are mixed. And so we don't have a purity of light like God has. But the more we focus on Jesus, the more we become like him. That's why it says in Hebrews to fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. 
He says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And when you fix your gaze and when you put your focus towards Jesus, you start to have light into your soul. It starts to brighten things up. It starts to change the way that we think and the way that we live and what we think matters. Fix your eyes on Jesus. It says, get your eyes up. Don't continually focus on the things around you or the things that are dark in the world. Listen, if, if all you do is focus on dark things like gossip and malice and backstabbing and using people, like that's what you end up becoming because that's where all your intent is focused on and you start to value that and you start to become that. But if we focus our eyes on Jesus, we get our eyes up, Jesus lifts our heads and says, focus on me. We start to become more like him. Because we're going to go one way or another. We're going to continue to do this. We're going to continue to serve something. In verse 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one, the one, and love the other, or he will devote, be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. No one can have two masters. And you're like, I don't have any masters. I answer to myself, right? Well, then you're your own master, and good luck with that, because you're going to be a slave to your own desires. Oh, I guess I serve something. We all serve something. But you can't be devoted to two things. You can try, but here's what happens. If, you do, if you're like, I want to serve God and I want to serve money, okay? I'm looking to God for my significance. I'm also looking to money for my significance. I'm looking to God for my identity. I'm looking to money for my identity. What's going to happen is you're like, I can do both. And you're like, no, you can't. It's going east-west, right? No one can go east-west, Right? You can't go one way and the other way direction at the exact same time. And so what happens is you end up loving one and being devoted to one, and you end up despising the other. Listen, money, money itself, the object of money, is just a thing. Okay? It's the love of money that comes out with all kind of roots of evil. Money is a tool. What happens is, is though we start to worship it like our God, and it becomes our master, and we start to serve money. And I will say this, money is a cruel taskmaster. You can never have enough. It's never enough to give you the security and the assurance that you so desperately need. It might for a little bit, but it can't go all the way, right? You know that there's still parts of you like, I've served money. And listen, if you, use mo if you, if you worship money and then you spend it poorly, money is not merciful, Right? You make a bad purchase, you do something with money and you're like, it's gone. Money doesn't come back to you and go, you know what? I'm gonna give you grace and mercy. I'm gonna come back into your life. That's not how money works, right? Money is a cruel taskmaster. It's gone, it's gone. And it never gives the assurance that we think it's going to give us. And what happens with that is if you start worshiping money and serving money, then the commands of God look really inconvenient and unbelievably inefficient, right? We worship money and now we're supposed to like love people and take time for them and not use them and well, that keeps me away from making more money. And so often we, we, we start to despise the things of God because we started to worship money and God is inconvenient, 
Conversely, if you start to worship God, you start to follow God, then what happens with money is you start to see what the, what the love of money does to people and you start to despise that. You despise what it does to relationships. When people love money and what it does to the person's soul and you start to go, man, I don't want anything to do with that. And so at Ignite, we teach people this. We want you to love God, we want you to love people, and we want you to use money. Love God, love people, use money. We get messed up when we flip that around, when we love money and we use God and we use people. Love God, love people, use money. Don't use people, don't use God for your love of money. Can you be rich? Yes, you can. It's not a sin to have money. It's a sin for money to have you. And so it's a tool. We're open-handed with it. But he says you can't serve both. You can't serve both. You got to get your eyes up. You got to get your eyes up past, past the things, past the investing in the, all your life into the temporal things of this world and to be so focused on the dark things so that you can somehow serve money because that's somehow going to make you feel better. He says, you got to get your eyes past that. You got to get your eyes up. You got to get your eyes up. Because no one can serve two masters. But... If we invest in the kingdom of God, our affections start to go towards the things of God. If we, if we love God, if we're focused on him, if we're serving him, then he, he says this in verse 25. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about what your body or what you will put on. It's more, is not life, more than food and the body, more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God says, don't be anxious about your life. I don't know about you, but I've struggled with anxiety and being anxious and being worried. And so often what's happening is I'm, I'm looking at my circumstances, I'm looking at my own feet, and I'm just kind of spinning around going, what am I going to do? 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 
just whipping myself up into a frenzy because I'm pretty good at it. Like I'm my own best cheerleader in a spiral down, down, down. Right? Be worried. Right? W-O-R-R-Y. Right? No, no, I'm just kidding. But the reality is I can, I can get myself worked up pretty good. You're like, we see that every Sunday, Steve. I know. I can get myself so worked up by things of lesser value. And God says, when you got your eyes on me, keep your eyes on me. You don't need to be anxious. Why? Because I'll clothe you. I'll feed you. I'll take care of you. Keep your eyes on me. Get your eyes up, focus on me, and walk with me. Stay with me. You don't need to be anxious. He says, consider the birds of the air. They don't have fields. They're not planting vegetables. They're not planting the harvest. They're not storing up in barns, and yet God feeds them. And you are more valuable than a bird. You need to know that. You matter to God in a way that is different and more valuable. You are more valuable than the birds of the air to our Father. You need to know that. You are special in his eyes. And he says, why are you worried about clothing? Why are you worried about clothing? He goes, consider the lilies of the field. He says, think about all the different flowers that are out there and how beautiful and amazing they are. He said, not even Solomon not even Solomon could rival that. Now, Solomon used to be a king of Israel before Jesus' day. Um, he was a king of Israel, and he was just, like, stupid rich. Like, so loaded. Like, unbelievable. Like, if you think today and you're like, you know what? I'm hungry. I'm going to go to a restaurant. He would be like, I'm hungry. I'm going to build a restaurant in my courtyard so I don't ever have to go anywhere again. He was that rich. Like he planted vineyards and he redirected rivers and he did all these amazing things. He built buildings and lavished all these just amazing, beautiful things. He built the temple of God that people worshiped at. It was just incredible amounts of wealth. And he goes, yeah, that was impressive. But have you ever seen a flower? Have you ever stopped and looked at the intricacies and the delicacies of a flower? Has something in nature so moved you and go, that is beautiful? God clothed that flower, which is like here today and gone tomorrow. Right? We like pick the flowers and in like three days they look awful. And he says, if God spends that much time clothing the grass of the earth, how much more do you think he cares for you? How much more does he care for you? And he says, you don't have to seek after those things. Keep your eyes on me. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the things of God. Keep your eyes on Jesus and let Jesus add those things to you. Go, God, I need that. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to present that to you. And you say, I know you need that. I'm going to provide for you. Let Jesus walk with you. Follow him. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. And you'd be amazed 
at how God provides. You'd be floored by how much God, if you ever stopped and think about how much God actually provides for us, or those moments when you become acutely aware of what God has done for you, it's incredible how God provides for us. Why are we so worried? Why are we so anxious? Because our eyes are to the ground and we're not focused on Jesus and we think all this depends on us and we think that we're responsible for all these things and we think that we're the ones who have to define us and give us identity because if no one, if I don't, no one else will and I gotta, get your eyes up and focus on Jesus and you will see his provision in ways that will blow your mind. I have wanted to preach the book of Matthew for a long time, and we've been planning on doing it for over a year. We've been planning on how to do it, okay? So in February, we started laying out the sections of Scripture, how we're going to chunk it out so we can be able to preach it through and how many verses we're going to focus on one day and all this stuff. In April, May, we started assigning the Sunday for the Scriptures, okay? So, so in April, I knew what I would be preaching this week. Okay? Now, it's always open to God. He can change it and do whatever he wishes because he is the senior, senior pastor of this church. So if God says, you're going to change that, we say, yes, sir. It's not like, well, I got this plan, God. It's like, that's cute. Change it, right? So, but we walk and we pray and we plan this out. In April, I knew that I would be preaching this text, Okay? I want to show you something about how God provides. On Tuesday this week, I got a phone call. And it was one of those phone calls that you get that you always remember exactly where you were when you got the phone call. I got a phone call from my mom. And I answered the phone. And I said, hey, mom, how's it going? And her answer will forever change my life. I said, hey, mom, how's it going? Her response was this. Dad has cancer. I knew dad wasn't feeling well. He had gone to some doctors and he got referred down to the Mayo Clinic. And it was at Mayo where we found out dad has non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I found that out this week. My dad, who has always been strong and never chronically ill, has cancer. That changes things. So Tuesday afternoon, I'm trying to wrap my head around this and trying to figure out what's going to happen because he's going to come home for a little bit. And then on Sunday today, actually, they're on their way back down to Mayo. He starts chemo tomorrow and will be uh, doing chemo for the next five to six months. The next two months, he's going to be at the Mayo Clinic. And it's right over the holidays, so we're trying to figure out all these, you know, your details are just swimming all over the place. And you don't know what to do and you don't know which way is up and you're trying to figure this out and you're trying to do research and you're like, what just happened? That was Tuesday afternoon, this week. Wednesday is sermon writing day for me. 
It's when I write my sermons, the, the majority of it. And, and, and I knew what I had to do, and I knew what text was there, and I knew all the, those kinds of things, but honestly, my mind was a bunch of other places. And Wednesday, I opened the scriptures to write. I'm like, okay, Lord, I just need you. I need your, I need energy. I need focus. I need to do this. And I open up the scriptures to where I'm supposed to preach, and he says, do not be anxious. Don't be anxious. God knew five months ago I would need this text today. God provided for me on Wednesday when I opened it up and got to see the words of my father telling me not to be anxious. Get your eyes up, Steve. Focus on me, Steve. Walk with me. I got this. You got to walk with me, though. You don't have to be anxious. Am I sad? Yeah. Am I scared? Yeah. I can bring all those things to my father, my heavenly father, because he says, don't be anxious. I got this. I'm going to provide for you. I've already provided the text that you needed today, and I knew that five months ago. And, and we were able to, there were some cool things that had just happened all along the way. We were able actually to have a, a, an abbreviated Thanksgiving dinner yesterday. My sisters had time off and we were able to drive in and go to mom and dad's house. We got a Thanksgiving dinner with mom and dad before they headed to, to Mayo. Um, there's a place down there that they can stay for free for the next two months because dad's a retired police officer and there's a house, there's an apartment complex there for just cops. He's got a place to stay. He's got, within an hour's distance, two of his brothers and three of his in-laws. My mom's going to have a support network. Um, people, and you might know my dad because he comes here. My mom and dad are part of Ignite Church, and he's part of a life group. And his life group, my dad's life group, surrounded him, went and visited him on Friday. Some guys from life group went over and prayed with him and spent time with him. And I just look at this, and I'm like, I don't have to worry. God's already got it figured out. He's already got it figured out. What does this next stretch look like for us? We don't know. His prognosis is good. Um, he's at literally the best hospital in the world. And he's got people around him, but most importantly, he's got a God that loves him dearly. As he says, keep your eyes on me, Doug. So we were able to pray, I was able to hug him, we were able to get things set up, and, and we're praying that he is healed. But I don't have to worry because this didn't catch God by surprise. None of it did. And you might be sitting there thinking today, and you might be going, wow, God's really kind to Steve. He must really love him. And the answer is, Yes, he is, and yes, he does. God really does love me. I don't know why, but God really does love me. He loves me deeply. And even though I'm going through an interesting season and our family's going through a really interesting season of some unknowns, we're gonna trust our unknown future to a known God and say, God, where you lead is good. And he said, just keep following me. Keep your eyes up. 
Just keep following me. Keep your eyes up. Here's the amazing thing. And I need you to know this because this is really important. God loves you exactly the same way he loves me. God loves you exactly the same way he loves me. The same affection, the same desire for provision, the same, the same all of those things. All of that has been bestowed upon me and it will be bestowed upon you. He loves you exactly the same way that he loves me. And it's about coming to him and about putting your trust in him and about following him because he removes our guilt. He removes our sin. He did that by the way of the cross. He's alive and active in the world today. And he will give you something that our world longs for. Rest. Because Jesus' upside-down kingdom gives perspective to my life and rest to my soul. He can for you too. And if you're here today and you don't know the peace of God, it's about turning to him. It's about getting your eyes up. It's about fixing your attention on him and saying, Jesus, will you lead me from this day forward? Will you take care of me? Will you be my king? And Jesus says yes to all who ask. And the God that I worship and the God that is leading me through something is the same God who can lead you through whatever it is you're going through. He's that powerful and he's that good. It's about coming to him. Gain perspective for your life and rest for your soul by giving your life to Jesus today. Let's pray.